Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, two tools. We'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. And we got all our lines wide open, just rip-roaring and ready. That's it. And if you're apt to want to call us from anywhere in the world, you just put in the world code before there the area code. and The country you, code. And... At midnight yeah, or something like that. Are, but <laughs> I don't know where you are. Well, I don't know if you're in Canada or Mexico. You can pretty much same time zone, or maybe. Maybe. Not too far off. A couple hours. There you go. Give us a call, 291-6901. We always enjoy hearing folks. And, of course, folks in Baton Rouge, all you have to do is pick that phone up and just dial the number. That's it. And we love hearing from you as well. We were live this week, and uh-huh. that's why if you need an answer to a question, this is the best week to call, because next week will be Mardi Gras, and I, we will be out for that. We have a recorded show. Took a show from 2010. Okay. Uh, same time of year, 2010, so that'll roll next week. And uh, Great. Most of our listeners have probably never heard that before, so it'll be brand new to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's a good show. It's amazing to me when I go back and take some of these old shows that – the message has not changed at all. No. And I guess that's the way you can tell when a guy's telling you the truth. Yeah, you can go it. back five or six years ago, take something you said, and it still plays true. That's right. <laughs> so I guess the truth is always the truth. So that's it. It always kind of makes me feel good when I go back and read. And of course, some things that you would have said maybe five years ago don't apply as much today. Right. Times have changed. Times Technology. Have changed. Technology changed. You know, right. You may talk about an EGR valve. And of course, cars today, a lot of them don't have EGR no. anymore. They've Kind They've of kind of got away from that, that and, out, along with a lot of other things. You might talk about an idle control servo, and of course, most of the cars there drive by wire don't have idle control servos. Right, anymore. those were only the vehicles that had a physical cable from the right. pedal to the accelerator. Some type of mechanical connection between the pedal and the throttle body, and the way they would get them to idle is to have this little motor, which would they call it a motor, it's a servo or a mm-hmm. valve, I guess. Right. It would just open and allow air into the motor. Right. So, it had a, a pendle in a seat. Right. And the little motor would move the pendle back and forth off the seat to allow the right amount of air into the engine. Correct. So it would idle. Right. And when the air hits the engine, of course, it's going to automatically richen up. So fuel and air equals RPM. Uh-huh. So the RPM would go up to wherever it wanted. And it could do this very, very, very rapidly. Right. I mean, 1 of a second or less, it could pick that speed up. And you could always tell when there was a problem with the system because... So you cut your AC on, you'd see the RPM drop. Correct. And then it would slowly kind of pick back up. Well, that meant the idle control servo was getting weak. And the next step is it would start dying on you. Sure, it wouldn't idle anymore. You might let your foot off the gas suddenly and the car would die and it would start right back up. And they used those for years and years. They did, and they worked very well. They did for what they were designed to do. job. But the thing is, back then, the throttle was an input to the computer. There was a throttle position sensor, and the driver controlled the throttle, and the throttle told the computer, okay, this is how much I'm open, this is how much I'm doing this, this is how much I'm doing that. He did the calculation and added the right amount of fuel. Correct. Now, after somewhere around 2004, they went to drive-by-wire, even earlier on some vehicles, and now the throttle is an output from the computer. Correct. And what that means is that when you apply the accelerator, you're no longer moving a cable or a rod or a linkage of any sort. In fact, the only thing you're doing is working a couple of sensors. Right. Uh, there's, I think there's two or three sensors on that pedal. on the model. That have the accelerator pedal position sensor. Right. They all have to correspond with each other. I guess the redundancy of two or three sensors right. to compare. Just to, well, because it's a safety-related item, you don't want the car running away or not going when you want it to go. 
they can't rely on just one sensor, so they put at least two, and the two have to correlate one with the other. Mm-hmm. Now, if the correlation gets off, the computer automatically shuts the car down, and generally it won't go over about 20 miles an hour. And a lot of people have experienced that. Right. On the Ford, there's a little wrench light that pops on. On GM, just check engine light will pop on. And, and that's just to get you off the main road right. where you can get away from traffic and get pulled over to a safe place Correct. to stop. And what a lot of people figure out pretty fast is that, hey, if I turn the key off and I turn it back on, well, then everything's okay again. Uh-huh. But it's, it's not. It kind of <laughs> resets a little bit. It resets it and moves it to history. So it may allow you to go again, and that's fine as far as getting home. But if you think that's a strategy that's going to work for you long term, it's not. you're going to be pretty disappointed because not only is it going to continue to happen, it may just completely shut down right? depending on what the fault is. So, And it kind of works like the other sensors on the vehicle as whereas the computer sends out a five volt reference mm-hmm. to this motor assembly mm-hmm. and it gets a voltage back that it understands in computer language and does a certain thing depending on the voltage it gets back and that five volt reference is the same five volt reference that runs the rest of the sensors right. on the computer system so you could very well have one of the sensors somewhere else go down mm-hmm. and corrupt that five volt reference right and the vehicle wouldn't run it Won't go, go, yeah. Right. It'll sit there and idle, but it it will not accelerate. And more and more and more, we have multiplexing on most of the newer vehicles. They call it CAN, or on GM, they call it CAN-D. Right. But what that is, rather than having individual wires tying everything together on the car, there's one wire. Right. If they did that, if they didn't have the CAN bus, you'd have a a wire harness as big as your arm. That's right. Running across the vehicle several times. So this is a a new design they've come up with. Well, it's very much like the cable that comes into your house. Uh Uh-huh. And you may have a movie. You may have 200 different television stations. You may have your phone all coming in over one cable. Your internet. Right. And it's done with little packets of information. For instance, all of these sensors are sending out a packet with a tag on it. When the PCM or BCM or whatever computer receives it, it knows by the tag where this goes. Uh And it just ignores the stuff it doesn't need, takes in the stuff it does need. Just like Cox may send 100 movies down that cable. But if you didn't pay for it, you can't see it. Correct. (laughs) It's just bypassing your unit. And if you got the box and the encoder and you've paid for the movie, well, right. then it, tags it recognizes it. it, comes in, and you can see the movie or the sporting event or whatever. whatever. It's similar to that. It's a network. That's kind of the way it works. But the throttle is no longer a input to the computer. It is now an output from the computer. The computer is controlling the throttle now. Exactly. And that gives them a lot of capabilities. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Let's catch a phone line here. we got Rick online. Good morning, Rick. Hey, good morning, Lewis. Good morning, Brian. Hope y'all are doing well. Doing great, sir. Doing great. I have a little trouble tuning in today, but I didn't want to miss the opportunity to call in. I've got a quick question about my 04 Ford F-150. Okay. And the dashboard is really beautiful. The whole truck's been, I'm taking really good care of it, mm-hmm. trying to keep it clean. But the, the dashboard's kind of a you know, plastic, you can rub your fingernails on it, it's kind of hard. Mm-hmm. Okay, the vinyl, the, yeah. The air, yeah, the airbag panel, if you will, above the glove box mm-hmm. is gooey. Mm-hmm. And just that one section, the whole rest of the dash is perfect. Mm-hmm. It's like that one panel has just turned. It's like gummy. Yeah, it's probably the type of plastic that they used in it, and that's in direct sunlight every time the vehicle's in sunlight. So it's yeah. going to probably catch a little more use. Yeah, it's just the type of material that they use. That they, they had to use that type of material for the airbag because it has to do a certain thing. It has to tear right. open. Right, right. And it has to tear open when the airbags deploy, whereas right. the dash it's panel does 
pipe. So it's, it's yeah. made out of a different type of material. And I've seen that, like, on Chevrolets on the steering wheel. They'll uh-huh. turn almost sticky in your hand. Yeah, yeah and, it's like a gummy bear. Or yeah, we have to replace the steering wheels on Chevrolets all the time for that. It's, oh, I mean, unfortunately, there's no fix for it other than replace the airbag assembly. And yeah, I've tried a couple of inconspicuous little corners to mm-hmm, try mm-hmm. some cleaners, but it just doesn't do any good. No, no, it's the material itself that they use is just insufficient to the task. And I guess, like everything else, they try different things mm-hmm. and sometimes it doesn't work out. And you one of the guys who got stuck with one that didn't work out. But, I mean, you'd yeah. have to replace the airbag. And the unfortunate part is those are very expensive. And yeah. the further unfortunate part is you generally can't buy them used. Most salvage yards will not sell airbags for liability purposes. Right, not, even if you found one, it might be the same condition. And may very well right. be because they were probably all produced with the same material. So you might just call forward and price that airbag depending on how much it bothers you. But, I mean, there's, I know they're generally very expensive up in the 500 to to $1,000 okay. range somewhere. I mean, you could well, I, probably – yeah, you could probably take something like a very thin vinyl paper, like almost like shelf paper that matches, and put that over it just to cover it. But you got to be careful because you want the bag to deploy. If you put anything too strong that can't rip open, then your bag yeah. may not deploy. Right. So it's going to stick. I would hate to put one of those dash covers over it, but I thought about that as well. You but can do that, but that can inter- yeah, that can interfere with your bag. If if you did get in a collision, the bag is going to be trapped underneath that cover, or yeah. worse, yeah, it's going to put the cover through your face. You know. So, you got it. Yeah, it's just one of those things. I mean, if it really bugs you, I mean, you can look at replacing the bag. It's not that difficult. You just have to disconnect the battery, let the system die completely, and that takes about an hour, hour and a half. Once the system's mm-hmm. dead, you can go ahead and just replace it like you would any other component. When you start it back up, it's going to go through some little gyrations, and it should recognize the new bag and, and come up. Yeah. Well, I've listened to your advice over the last few years with the, the oil for this. It's the mm-hmm. 5.4 pre-valve Triton. Yes, all right. And, you know, I'm adamant about that 520 synthetic. Oh, absolutely. Yes, doing sir. great. I got about 110 on it. Well, good. Great. You've done a lot better than a lot of people have because people who are kind of lackadaisical about that and sometimes put the right oil and sometimes don't or push those changes out, man, we're seeing engines going out all the time at 110, 120,000. Yeah, we did have a fiasco with the, the plugs. I, I, a couple of them broke. You know, yeah. We changed them. But now, you know, that was, uh, if you still got your receipts from that, Ford is under a class action suit. A bunch of owners. I got it suit. in the mail. Well, good. good. You may be able to recoup some of that money. Yeah, it was several hundred. Yeah, I'm sure. You, you may be able to recoup uh, your cost of, of repair, or at least some of your cost of repair. I'm looking into that right now. Yeah. Thank you. There you go. I sure appreciate All you right, guys. I love right. the show. Good. Thanks Thank for calling, man. Bye bye. Yep, take care. Y'all uh-huh. have a good day. Yes, sir. All right, 291 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And let's see, what did I do here? You pushed the wrong button again? No, nah, I didn't push the wrong button. <laughs> <laughs> We're going back to the phone lines with David. Good morning, David. Hey, how are you guys? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Good morning. Man, they got me into you guys pretty quick. Well, good yeah. deal. First, uh, I, I'm a first-time caller, actually. Okay, great. And uh, I found your podcast a couple months ago, mm-hmm. and I do a lot of driving for work. And, man, I am really excited to have your show. Well, thank you. Uh, you guys are Spent a lot of hours with me on the road, and I think I've gone back. I think I've gone back about a year and a half on your podcast. That's great. Learned a, a wealth of information. So, anyway, first I want to say thanks because your program is amazing, and I think it's really important anytime you empower people to, you know, give them the information they need to make good decisions with something, especially you know a financial thing like a car, which right. is a big ticket item. Uh, I think that's great, and you guys really actually helped me out uh, the last month or two. I've been trying to help my mom with purchasing a used car, mm-hmm. and some of the information that you guys have provided just really made that process a lot less painful trying to get something for her that I could trust that would be reliable. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, so anyway, I wanted to say thanks for that. And I have kind of a, actually kind of an odd hybrid vehicle. And I know you guys don't deal with European stuff. This is kind of what I would call half American, half (laughs) European. It's a really rare 2005 Jeep Liberty. There were two years that they imported an Italian turbo diesel engine for Mm -hmm. these things. And I do have that. And I'm not even going to get into the details of that because it's a little bit crazy. But I'm so far tinkering on it and enjoying it and Mm -hmm. keeping it running. But I do have a question about the drivetrain, the okay. rear differential. The differentials are the same, I believe, pretty much as the 3.7 liter mm-hmm. gasser. And the rear is the eight and a quarter Chrysler. Okay. And I, I was looking at the maintenance schedule and I thought it was really overkill on the diff fluid. They are recommending a fluid change every 12,500 miles, which seems really excessive. I mean, yeah. I know this is, the, this is the diesel version and I'm not sure if it's the same with the gasser. Probably not. um, I think on the gas version, something like 50,000 miles. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I expected. But I was looking at the 12,005, and I'm thinking, man, that's, you know, that's a lot of fluid. I do a lot of highway driving. Is that maybe under under towing conditions? Does it say something about towing? It could be on that recommendation. It could be on, what is it, Schedule B or the Right, right. I know when when they recommend under towing, even on the the Dodge trucks and stuff, they recommend 15,000 miles when towing. But without yeah. towing, it's not necessary. Now, the diesel necessarily is going to load that rear end a little more than a gas burner would. Right. And so right. it may have some special clutches or something in it they're, keep, they're trying to protect also. I would check back and see if that doesn't say something about wind towing. And if it does, then I would probably look at their normal schedule, which is probably going to be up around 50,000 miles. Okay. Yeah, that makes more sense to mm-hmm. me. Now, my, my other question with regards to that is that I know sometimes they've been kind of trying to squeeze a little bit more MPGs out of things. And maybe I thought I was under the impression that maybe they're putting sometimes lighter weight fluids in these differentials than than what might actually protect the differential. Now, that rear calls for a 75-90, I think. And then okay. the front differential is like an 80-90. Right. Does, does that sound i mean is that the best fluid to run in that in those differentials a lot of them have gone to 75 140 just because they did have concerns i know ford initially had 75 90 in their differentials they were wearing gears out right and left and they did it like you said to try to get better fuel mileage and they subsequently came out and said 75 140 would work a lot of the christ products do specify 75 w140 and yeah, okay. I don't think that would really be a problem simply because in colder weather, it's going to be 75 weight anyway. Only when it's hot can it respond like a 140 weight. So okay. I don't think you would do any harm doing that. But again, check and see it possibly even lists that as an option. I know a lot of the Christ products do specify 75, 140 in the rear differentials. Yeah, I'm pretty sure on this one it says 7590 on the mm-hmm. rear and 80W90 on the front, which is, I guess, a... A Dana 35, I think, with, with an aluminum housing. Right. Um, and and basically, just, 75W9 and 80W90 are, are identical products. I mean, one has a little bit different lower-end viscosity rating, but, I mean, those are basically the same all. The 7590 okay. would basically supersede the 8090. Okay. So it, do you think I would be justified in, in moving to the 140 weight, or should I contact Chrysler where, on where that? Do you, where or? do you live, David? What's your climate like? I'm in Sarasota, Florida, so it's okay, pretty warm down pretty here. Pretty warm all the time. I don't think you're going to hurt yeah. a thing going to 75, 140 in it if you're in a warmer climate because you're at the higher end ranges all the time. If you were in Montana or Minnesota or one of the Dakotas where it literally gets bitter cold, I would yeah. probably be a little more reluctant. But yeah, I don't think you're going to hurt a thing going to 75, 140 in it. Yeah, I was hoping maybe to protect the gears a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, give you a little more durability. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much, you guys. All right. Well, thanks for calling, Dave. Sure. Bye-bye. 
All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you're in part of the automobile, we would love to have you. We're going to take our first quick little break and be right back with more. Hi, it's Louis Altazan from Agco Automotive. It's our 40-year anniversary, and the phone's been ringing off the hook with congrats from far and wide. Good day, and congratulations from Buckingham Palace. Next time you're in London, Louis, you must stop by for tea. I'm restoring an old Aston Martin and have some questions about the timing adjustments. Hope to see you soon. Lewis, it's your nanny. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wanted to call and tell you how proud I am of you. Forty years is nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> ho, 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 Lewis. Fixing cars right the first time for over 40 years. You've been a very good boy. I think I have something special for you this year. Keep up the good work. See, calls from far and wide. I guess 40 years of high-quality work really means a lot to people and keeps me on the nice list. Now I can't wait for Christmas. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead give us calls, 291-6901. Whether you got a comment or a question or whatever you have, you give us a call. And we still got plenty of time to get that question hey, answered, got too. It, and got our lines wide open. So That's it. Give us a call. Should you happen to think of something after we go off the air or maybe next week at midnight, there you, go. you can go to our website and get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it in. It couldn't be much easier couldn't than that. Much easier than that. That's right. It'll go straight to me, and I'll get you an answer back, usually within just a few hours, sometimes as much as 24 hours, but very rarely. Normally 12 or less, and mm-hmm. sometimes a lot less, just depending on where I happen to be when the, call, when the, <laughs> when the email comes in, hits me. And generally, on the weekends, it take a little longer simply because I don't sit there at a computer all day long. I try right. to check it in the morning when I get up, and I try to check it at night before I go to bed. But during the week, when I'm sitting at the computer at the shop, then it's going to be a lot faster. Sure. So just give us a call and be glad to try to help you out or send us an email in that way. We can get an answer back to you. And that is the only way to get an answer to a question. Please don't just stop by the shop or call me at the shop because I won't be able to come to the phone. It takes basically 100% of my time just to run and operate the shop and take care of the cars that are there. So I just can't stop and answer calls or field calls at the shop if you come by. Or And it's not that I want to be rude or not that I'm not interested in your question or you, but it's, it's just, just I can't do as physical limits of what I can do. And 100% of my time is required just to run that shop right. and keep everybody's workflow going and keep all the customers operating and answer the calls of the people who are in the shop. So Correct. The ladies who answer the phone can probably answer any question you're going to have, mm-hmm. unless this is just an extremely technical question, in which case you can send me an email, and I'll sure. be glad to get you an answer. Or just call us on Saturday morning, either way. That's the way you handle that. But uh, like I said, if you just stop by, generally I'm not going to be able to speak with you. And if you just call a shop, they're going to tell you that I'm not available. And they're just doing what they're told to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> because there's just no possible way I can feel those calls and do my job that I have to do that I get paid to do. So, like I said, don't take offense at it. That's just the reality of life. (laughs) So that's why we have the radio show, and that's why we have the website website. to handle all those kinds of issues. So we've got Sid online. Good morning, Sid. Morning. I just wanted to tell folks that if ever you got to take a car to a mechanic, this is the place to go. You were on vacation, Mm -hmm. and my S10 Chevrolet pickup quit, 
And so I took it to the dealership. Mm-hmm. Eight, nine times later, I brought it to you, and you fixed it just like that. <laughs> I remember that little truck, Sid. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of a bad deal. And unfortunately, we had to end up redoing basically everything they had done. I, mean, I don't know if they just, I don't know what went wrong. It's kind of like a perfect storm of stuff going wrong. Yeah, I know you spent an inordinate amount of money getting that fixed. I, I hope you were able to go back and maybe get some money back from them. Well, not yet. But I'm trying. Mm-hmm. But if ever truck quits running again, you're on vacation. I'll just rent a car and wait for <laughs> you to get back. Well, I appreciate that, Sid. Thank you much. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you want to part of the automotive hour, I remember when that truck he had gone, and his original problem was the headlights would go out. Uh huh. And they changed the body control module, and they changed some other stuff. Right. Well, not only did the headlights still go out, but then he went but now it would die and wouldn't start. Uh-huh. And he went back, like you said, six, seven times, and he called me a couple of times. I said, well, I would try to, you know, it's going to be expensive to have me redo sure. all this. So I tried to send him back, and anyway, he eventually, he's like, i got to have headlights. So he came in, we found a bad headlight relay. We fixed that, so that fixed that problem. Right. But the no start persisted, so he went back three or four more times. Eventually, he brought it to us, and we pretty much just had to redo everything they had done. Uh-huh. Everything they had done was wrong, and we redid all that. And, of course, now it starts and runs, and, and everything's fine. But, yeah, real, real unfortunate situation for him. I feel, I feel sorry for him. I know he spent a lot of money. Oh, yeah, and, and the and, time and, he was out of the vehicle. I mean, right. That's, that's right. And then he had to end up spending a lot of money to get, get it fixed again. So, you know, not only is auto repair expensive, but it, the cheapest guy is the most skilled guy who's going to do it right the first time, mm-hmm. by far. It's like I tell people all the time. They say, well, why do you use original equipment parts? Because they're the cheapest. Right. No, they don't cost less. I didn't say they cost less. I said they're cheapest. There's a difference between cost and, and cheapness. That's right. Because when you buy a starter and you save $100, but you have to change it three times, or worse yet, the end breaks off, tears up the flywheel, and you've got to spend $1,000. Have a transmission pulled to have the flywheel changed. Pulled. Yeah, and that happens all sure. the time. Sure, it does. Which one costs less? You know, it's... <laughs> Kind of like says, well, how much those shoes cost? Well, I don't know. I'm not through wearing them. Exactly. Because I can go to some department store and buy a pair of junk glued together shoes that hurt my feet. They last about a year and they fall apart. Right. Or I can go somewhere like Allen Edmonds, which is a fine, fine shoemaker. Allen Edmonds, I may pay $300 to $400 for a pair of shoes, but they're going to last me 30 Almost a lifetime. 40. If I take care of them, they're going to last 30, 40 years. And I right. send them back to them. They can recraft them if they need to. Exactly. So it's amazing. And I, I told the lady at the store, at the Allen Edmonds store, I said, well, I'm going to mention y'all because I just feel I'm one of those guys, you can't pay me for a recommendation. Correct. You can't do it. It doesn't matter. You ain't got enough money to pay me to recommend something. Correct. But if I believe in a product, then I'll, I'll do it for free because I think need to get the good news out. And Allen Edmonds is one of those companies, an American company, started, I think, in 1922. Okay. They really rose to to fame, I guess, during World War II. They made most of the shoes for the Army and the Navy. All right. And a lot of the guys who wore those Allen Edmonds during the during war. Wore war, them when they got home. Yeah, they got off and they said, these are good shoes. Right. <laughs> so that's kind of what built their reputation. And they could probably move production to China and save 60 70% right well, now. Well, sure they could. But they don't do it. They keep it. They're in Wisconsin. I want to say Port Washington, Wisconsin okay. is a factory. Fine, fine, fine shoes. I own four or five pair of them. And some of them, I, I know my dress black shoes, I don't wear them every single day, but I wear them a fair amount. And I want to say those shoes are 30-plus years old wow. and still look like the day I bought them. The leather is good. I mean, the sole, in fact, I still got the original soles on. But they have a recrafting service. You can send them back in when you need to. 
Have them repaired. And they'll recraft them, fix them up almost like brand new and send them back. I know this isn't the shoe hour, but <laughs> <laughs> I just, like I said, it's one of those companies that you find that it's just a good company. You feel proud to sure. speak good of them. And, sure. and it's something that everybody kind of needs to know about. There is an alternative to the cheap imported junk that you buy at a department store that falls apart. It's the same exact thing with car parts. Exactly. There is alternatives in many cases. Now, in a very few cases, there are no alternatives because they're all pretty much junk, and that's just the way it is, particularly on some of the older cars where they've quit making the original equipment parts. You've got mm-hmm. to go with an aftermarket part, or you've got to go with a rebuilt part, and it's just a shame, but that's just kind of the reality of life. And it, it's across the board. I mean, it's, it's getting you, that way because the car vehicles, companies are trying to force us out of the the old cars to the extent that they can. Right. Vehicles four or five years old, they started discontinuing parts. Well, that's right. So. One of the ways Ford pulled themselves out of that last bankruptcy is they sold all their parts to yeah. independent companies. So, yeah, six years, you're pretty much out. With you're you. done. <laughs> that's right. Hey, you got to take one more quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hi, folks. Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. Our team is celebrating 40 years in business, and we're getting congratulatory calls from all kinds of characters. And I do mean characters. You know, Lewis, me and Scoob will never forget the time that you fixed the alignment on the mystery machine. Forty years is really far out, man. <laughs> Lewis, there's a lot of lily-livered varmints out in the automotive world, but not of you. You're the best north, south, east, and west of the Pecos. That's off to 40 years, partner. Go! Forty years is almost higher than I can count. My only complaint is that you don't give away free donuts. <sighs> donuts. Well, it seems like high-quality automotive care in this day and age is still appreciated. I just can't believe all these characters really call. Oh, well, they always say I am quite an animated guy. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, we appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And if you have a question or comment about your car, give us a call. 291-6901. We'll get you right to us and right to the top of the list. And we still got a few minutes left we to got get your question answered. Bunch of time. <laughs> bunch of time left. Be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. We were talking just a little bit about some of the ways that systems work and so on. And one problem that all this creates for folks nowadays is we're sort of used to looking for symptoms to diagnose a car. And what you did in the past, for instance, if your fuel mileage degraded somewhat and maybe the car got hard to start or maybe it idled rough, the first thing you do is a tune-up. Sure. And folks today think that still applies, but that word really needs to go away. Yeah, that's because the word's still around. Yeah, the word tune-up, the word brake job, they mean absolutely nothing anymore. They nearly need to go away. They do. Because there's no such thing as a tune-up anymore. And what they might even remotely refer to as tune-up is changing maybe the spark plugs. That is going to have zero effect on the way the car runs. Mm-hmm. So if you've got any symptom, any symptom at all with your car, it's hard to start or it idles rough or your mileage is down, do not call the shop and ask for a tune-up. Because right. if you do, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get plugs and, you're and maybe have, get wires. You're going to still have the same exact problem when you get it back. And you know whose fault it's going to be? The guy who asked for the tune-up. Right. Because that's what you got. You misdiagnosed the problem. They did what you told them to do. And so who are you going to blame? What happens with spark plugs these days is that as the plug wears, 
the gap, the spark is jumping the gap, and it's removing metal. The metal is getting eaten away in the in, in the as, process in the process of right. ionization of the spark plug. But what happens is that gap gets wider and wider, so it requires more and more and more energy. Now, in the past, you had a coil, and that coil could fire so much. And what would happen is as the gap got wider, it wouldn't fire quite as efficiently, so it would start to run rough and your mileage would fall and all the things we we're used to seeing. Correct. On modern cars, and when I say modern, I mean from like 96 on up. Sure. So almost the technology on even what we consider old cars now is just beyond most people. What happens is that as that plug gap wires, the computer senses is taking more energy to ionize this plug gap. Well, what it does is simply increases the duty cycle to the calls. Sure. Gives it more power. So it so will it just the keep gap. right on firing. It's designed to isolate the driver from symptoms. You will not have a symptom. It will run just fine. And you say, well, that's great. Why should I change them if it runs just fine? Because what happens, that call is designed to run at a duty cycle of maybe 10%. Correct. When it gets to 15%, it's basically going to cut the life of the call in half. When it gets to 20%, it's going to eat the call up real fast and because it's operating beyond its parameters. And it's doing that because the spark plugs are worn out. When they say nowadays, change the plugs at 100,000 miles, that doesn't mean 101. That is the outside blue sky limit. Right. And although you will see absolutely no symptom, you will not know. And when you change them, you won't see a difference. But what will happen if you do not change them is you'll start burning up call packs. These can be anywhere from $100 to $200 a piece, and, and there may be eight of them on the car. Correct. I mean, do the math, 200 bucks a piece times yeah. eight. Now, that doesn't count diagnosing the problem. It doesn't count replacing them. them or any of that, in which case sometimes you have to pull the intake manifold off to change them. Depending on the application. Yeah, you can roll out of there with a $2,000 repair bill that could have been headed off just by doing what you were supposed to do, which is watch that maintenance schedule and change those on time rather than waiting for a symptom. And unfortunately, almost everything on the car nowadays is that way. You're not going to see symptoms very, very seldom. When you see a symptom, it's probably not going to have anything to do with anything that you think it is. And another problem with that is each part is integrated. It's all working together. So one thing can cause a problem so far downstream that you can never relate it back to it one of the most common things we see is people will call, how much is a rebuilt transmission? Sure. Well, why do you need a rebuild? Why just Because transmission won't shift. No, 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 no. Let's get it in, diagnose the problem. Well, they don't want to hear that. They want to hear how much a rebuilt transmission is. And they shop around and they find well, they the lowest guy. Well, they shop around and they find a guy who's the cheapest at rebuilding transmission. So what they get is a cheap rebuilt transmission, and it still got the same exact problem. Because right. it was never a transmission problem in the first place. Exactly. It was a bad throttle position sensor. Or it was a bad speed sensor. The bad input. Or the wire going to the speed sensor was, it was bad. A, it was a bad input to the unit causing so the problem. it didn't know when to shift. It couldn't shift. Maybe it locked up in second gear. Did So now you got the cheapest guy in town rebuilding your transmission, which probably isn't as good as the one you took out. Exactly. So you've created a much bigger problem. Been a whole lot of money, and you still got the same issue. I've seen a cheap alternator cause oh, transmission problems. Oh, absolutely. Had a guy come in not long ago, and he was driving a company car. He says, look, we got this extended warranty thing. It'll pay for anything. Just put a transmission in. No, 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 no. We're no. going to diagnose <laughs> it. Well, just put a transmission. I'm in a hurry. No, no, no. We're going to diagnose the problem. And so he was a little bit annoyed with me, but he was pretty happy when i told him he could pick his car up the same day and all it needed was an alternator right had we put a transmission he would have had the same exact problem and he still would need an alternator sure. plus his battery would have been dead in a couple of days <laughs> exactly because it hadn't gotten quite that bad yet but it was coming so you can't just go with the old time feeling of the gut you know where people will tell me all the time they'll call me and say well it feels like it's starving for gas well what does that feel like 
Yeah. What does feeling like start? <laughs> in other words, what you're trying to say is it's missing. Or now, it's, it's, that could be sluggish. an ignition problem. That could be a timing problem. That could be a valve hanging up. That could be an EGR valve sticking open. That could be a sensor going bad. That could be a call going bad. That could be all sorts it, of things. And maybe it is starving for gas. Maybe the fuel filter's plugged up. Maybe the fuel pump's going bad. But it, you can't say it feels like and it start changing parts. Right. Because you end up spending a whole lot well, more money. A fuel pump could be a thousand bucks. You want to put a fuel pump on there and see if that fixes it? And then the aggravation of doing it. Well, and, if you're going to try to do it yourself. And you really can't blame the shop if you misdiagnose the problem. You said it feels like a fuel problem. How much is a fuel pump? And a good shop is going to say we need to diagnose the car. Right. The guy you want to, you, that you're going to think is smart is the guy that says it's this much. So you're going to call three or four of them. If you're maybe above the average bear, you might even take the guy in the middle because right. you think, okay, the cheap guy's probably too cheap, high guy's too high, so the one in the middle's got to be right, even though all three of them may be totally in left field. You take that, you go in, he changes your fuel pump. Well, who can you blame? Well, all you did was rent a pair of hands. Well, yeah, you misdiagnosed the problem, and then you came in, you told him what to do, and he did what you told him to do. Exactly. And a better shop is probably not going to give you a price. So that's kind of one way to judge. People ask me, how can I find a good shop? The guy who won't give you a price on the phone. Right. The guy who tells you we need to get it in, Take check a look the at car, it. find out what's wrong, and then we will give you an exact price. We'll guarantee you that's the price it is. We guarantee it's going to fix the problem. Right. Now you talk to the right guy. You talk to somebody who can help you. But the guy who's going to rattle off a number, and believe me, the shysters who can't diagnose a problem anyway, that's their stock and trade. Oh, yeah. They want to get that phone call, how much is, because they've already got the answer. They've already called every other shop in town. They know what everybody else is going to charge, and they're going to craft their price somewhere where it's going to make it attractive. They're going to have an answer for everything. Sure. How much is towing? Oh, free towing. How much diagnosis? Oh, free diagnosis. I mean, what's more powerful than free? Exactly. But why would a craftsman who knows what he's doing, who spent years and years and years learning his craft, give away his labor? Right, and that's what he sells. That's what he's in business to do. He's got tens of thousands of dollars worth, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of tooling and equipment, if he's properly equipped, why would all that be free? It's like going to a doctor and he says, well, we'll remove your appendix for free. <laughs> you know, See if this fixes it. Yeah, yeah. Well, if, if, you, if you let us do a heart transplant, we'll give you a free appendix job. Right? You you know, I mean, come on, really. I mean, nobody is going to really do that. And nothing is really free ever. No, it's covered somebody, somewhere. Somewhere, somebody's paying for it somewhere. The only difference in an honest guy and a shyster is an honest guy's going to tell you that up front. Exactly. I charge for everything I do because I'm a professional and that's how I make a living. And none of us live under a bridge. So everybody thinks the other guy charges too much and we don't charge enough, but that's just the way it is. Find a guy who can diagnose the problem, who's going to tell you that up front. We're going to diagnose the problem. It costs this much to, you know, this much per hour. We bill in one tenth of an hour increments or however they do it in that particular shop. That's the guy who's going to fix the car. That is a guy who you're not going to end up spending a whole bunch of money, kind of like Sid. He spent a whole bunch of he money, did. ended up with nothing, and then still had to pay to get it fixed. Right. And Sid didn't use that approach, but he still well, got the end result. But And the time to find a place that you can deal with is not when your car's broke. Well, that's right. You don't wait till it's pouring down rain to fix the roof leak in the roof. You exactly. get that fixed when the sun's shining outside. Same thing with your car. You might want to take a few hours out of your busy schedule to locate a guy who is the what. You won't, so that when you do have a problem, because when you have a problem, it is always an emergency. Always. It, I have people call, well, this is an emergency. Every car in my shop is an emergency. That's right. When a guy's car is broken, it's always an emergency. So don't wait till you're under duress. You've got to make a snap decision. Go ahead and do a little research. Find a good guy. That way, when the problem occurs, you're ready to go. Exactly. Reading an article today, and it was talking about dressing properly and all. It says, if you have an important business meeting in the morning, go ahead and pick out all your clothes and all the night before. Lay sure. them out. 
That way, when you get up in the morning, you can't find that blue tie. You already know. You've already had time to readjust your outfit. You're late for an important meeting. Do all that before. Be prepared. Same thing with your car shop. Be prepared. Go ahead and get a guy lined up. That way, when the car doesn't start, check engine light pops on, whatever, you know you've exactly got somewhere who to, to call. Let's go back to the lines with David. Good morning, David. Hey, Lewis. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. Hey, listen, I'm kind of a do-it-yourselfer uh-huh. guy, okay. and I've got an O2 Trailblazer, and contrary to what you are talking about a while ago, this is not an emergency. Okay. Uh, it's got a... We replaced the engine not too long ago. Okay. Also, the transmission a couple of years ago. So okay. it has low mileage on both. Mm-hmm. But, and really, I say the issue. The issue is some of the places where you typically grease and those kind of things, the rubber's beginning to wear off, the rubber stopper type things that, for in the back, they have these big pieces of rubber. Yes, that when the goes up and down, it hits. Well, right. one of them is and the other mm-hmm. ones are cracking, mm-hmm. all that. Does it make sense to take a car like this to you guys, let you take a look at it to see, does it make sense because the engine and transmission are so good? And mm-hmm. to me, that's the big dollars right? to kind of get it back. I don't want to say like a brand new car, but yeah, kind of back exactly up to saying. speed mm-hmm. and keep it a long time versus just letting it become an in-city car and just don't take trips on it. Right. It kind of depends, David, on what your needs are. If you've got another car that you can go in and this one is kind of like a second for you, then that approach would work. It's a car that you really kind of need to depend on. You really can't afford to replace it right now. Then you have to take a little different tact. And I get people all the time will ask me, is it worth doing such and such. And all I can ask for is my own experience. I've got an 05 model Buick that I just put a transmission in. And that probably costs about what the car, some people may say the car is worth, but to me, my car is not worth what somebody else puts a value on. It's worth what it costs me to get transportation to A to B. Exactly. And so if I can put a transmission in this one, it costs 3000 and another car costs 35000 that's a lot less. And I'm going to drive that car for probably another 100,000 miles. So I would probably, if I were in your situation, bring it in, let's do a general inspection, give you a complete list of everything we see, and then you can go through and prioritize. Well, I'm not too worried about this. This really doesn't matter to me. This is important. This needs to be done right now. This could be done within the next year. I could do this myself, that kind of stuff. But, yeah, yeah, it wouldn't hurt to have a professional pair of eyes go over it and kind of give you an evaluation and a list, and then that way you can start working like you want. Are you in a position without, like, an O2? Are you in a position to say, uh, one to two hours, probably. To uh, an hour. About an hour. An hour. Full general to a look-see. Yes, yeah. sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And you can kind of let me know. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. I, I think that's the approach we'll take. Okay. I appreciate it. Sounds Enjoy great, Enjoy your show. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. I got to take our last little break, but you guys hold on. We'll be right back with more of the Automotive Hour. Hi, folks. Louis Aldezan here from Agco Automotive. This year, we celebrate 40 years in business, and, man, I can't believe all the calls we received from national dignitaries. Lewis, it's the governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got to run, but I'll be back. Lewis, hey, I'm playing golf with an old friend, and we wanted to call and say that 40 years is quite a run. Lewis, that is absolutely splendorific. <laughs> Hey, Lewis, James here, 40 years, wow. You know, there's nothing more I like than a good, homegrown Louisiana success story, except, well, maybe politicking and my tigers. You're up now, you hear? Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. 
Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call, 291-6901. We were talking a little bit about just sensors and the way cars work now and how folks can go pretty far wrong trying to diagnose stuff nowadays. It just, the reason I tell people, go get a professional diagnosis is because it's cheaper. It sure. just costs a lot less than throwing parts at a problem than hoping to fix it. Even if you are pretty handy and you can do a lot of work yourself, find that guy who can do a true diagnosis. Now, that's not everybody that's got a shingle out because you may go in and pay for it, and still you got absolutely nothing. Even right. though he charged you for it, it's worth nothing because he can't diagnose squat. Find a guy who can do it. Go ahead and pay him his fee. Let him diagnose problem, then take it home and fix it yourself. That's the way you can wrong save money. Absolutely. I'm all for saving money. And if you can do it yourself, you want to do it yourself, you got a place to do it yourself, maybe you enjoy doing it yourself. That's great. Find that guy who can help you out, point you in the right direction. We had a guy a while back who had a misfire code, and he called us on the radio show, and I gave him a few pointers, and he still just couldn't get it. A few and emails. He ended up changing different parts and stuff. Anyway, he finally brought it in. In about 45 minutes, I told him exactly what the problem was. He right. took it home. He fixed it himself. And he rolled back and said, man, I feel like a dunce, you know? I, if I'd known it was this easy. <laughs> well, I mean, changing parts is not that difficult. Mm-hmm. It, it's the knowledge to know what parts that need to be changed or what needs to be repaired, not necessarily a part. Right. It could be a wiring issue. That's uh, we, absolutely We've seen right. a, a lot of that lately. The newer cars seem to have a tremendous amount of wiring problems just because those wires have gotten smaller and smaller and smaller and, and they smaller. And carry so much more information. Not only that, but you don't have that old eyelet soldered to the end of a wire clamped down with a bolt like you used to have. you got a little plastic connector that just snaps together because that's faster at the, at the assembly plant. Assembly plant. They can snap that harness in that car in just a matter of moments. The problem is, once you snap and unsnap that once, twice, that old gasket in there dries up and falls out, and you start getting moisture in that connection, now you've got a lost signal. That's right. And what's really, really bad, what makes that so difficult to diagnose is, it's not an on-off. It's not like a zero-one type thing. you got a five-volt reference, and you got about four-and-a-half volts on it, but occasionally it drops to four volts, and when it does, that's when it's going to affect something. Now, this may only occur once a month, maybe once every six months. So high in the world that, that do you find that? Extremely difficult to find. It is extremely difficult for a professional to find. In many cases, it can't be found. But at least a professional who has a digital lab scope, he can hook it up. He can go drive the car. He can watch the pattern. He can see corruption. He, he has, can interpret codes. He has the knowledge The to knowledge. interpret. That's the big thing. Right. It may throw a airflow sensor code and have absolutely nothing to do with the airflow sensor. And what happens is you go change a $400 airflow sensor with a rebuilt part that's not as good as the one you took off. And you got to trade your old one in Send for a Send your core. old one in, so now it's gone. So now you, don't, you can't put it back on. Still got the same problem. Now you got two problems. So now you, you really got an issue going on. And it was never anything to do with the airflow sensor in the first place. Maybe the map sensor wire was loose. Right. And so it didn't know how much vacuum was in the intake, so it's going to throw out an airflow sensor code that thinks too much air is in the intake. That's exactly. why the map's reading wrong. Or who knows what, possibly <laughs> you, you accidentally put some E85 gasoline in the car and the fuel air mixture was wrong. It generated an airflow sensor code or an oxygen sensor code because it was confused. It wasn't designed to run on that fuel. Some got in there. I mean, there are so many things. And you know the bad part about it, what fixes one car will not fix another one. Oh, absolutely. Because the the guy that wrote the program 
he didn't write the same program for each vehicle. Well, it's it was his interpretation. Different people, different right. teams of people, because no one person sits down and writes 100,000 lines of code for an automobile computer like they have in them. There's teams of guys who all write parts that interchange with each other. And there's a, another team that oversees it all, integrates it, puts it together. And it's not like it's just one computer sitting there like on your desktop. This is 70 computers sure. on most cars. And they're all talk, communicating with each other. All communicating over a single bus, over a single wire, and with encoders and interpreters and all of that. And so a sensor anywhere, you may hook up a trailer hitch on your car, sure. drag it. it through some water, and it may start kicking out a, who no knows, telling. oxygen right. sensor code. It may kick out an EGR code. It may kick out a transmission code because interfering is backing up, taking the ground out of the speed sensor and throwing sure. out a transmission slip code. It could it generate any kind of code when you get corruption on the line. One of the big things we see people will go and change the radio or something out, and then they start having just endless, endless, endless problems. Sure. And they never relate back to that. Right. Uh, so we see it all the time. You could spend an inordinate amount of money tracing that down and never even get close to the problem. So that's why a professional diagnosis will save you money. Exactly. Hey, I see we're just about out of time. We've got to start winding up. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And go to your favorite rebroadcast service and Give us a written, written review. review. There you go. If you do, that'll move us up in the ratings. More people can listen so we can keep on doing the show. They won't throw us off stage. <laughs> <laughs> hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.